You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Well, hello, Trip. Hello. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Hey, Trip. For those that haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell the listeners what's going on. Why are we talking today? First off, thanks for inviting me on the podcast. This is this is awesome. Uh, Trip Logan, second generation community pharmacist in Southeast Missouri. I um, took my first steps in one of my dad's drugstores and have. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, been involved in the business of, of community pharmacy my whole life. Um, really involved with a lot of a lot of different entities, wear a whole lot of different hats. Some of my most exciting hats right now are community pharmacy owner. Um, there's a lot of pressures on on my colleagues and and my personal business and my my business partner who's my dad. You know, we we deal with these struggles every day, but anytime there's some adversity, there's going to be some opportunity for people. So we're hoping to seize on that and help others do the same. Been really involved with the CPSN initiative. That's a Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network. Really involved with that from the inception, and so that's that's a hot topic. Plus, uh, we just launched uh, a new uh, startup company called the Enhanced Service Pharmacy Alliance, um, ESFA, and we're doing a really good job of trying to deliver uh, service-oriented uh, community pharmacy, profitable niche market type things that pharmacies can do and, and really um, um, leverage their local relationships as well. And so working on a whole different, uh, a lot of different angles, um, also do quite a bit of community service work as well. And um keeping you busy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Where are we talking from? So I was born and raised in Southeast Missouri, which is where I'm speaking to you from right now, Mississippi River Delta. We're about two hours north of of Memphis, Tennessee. You have two pharmacies. How far are they apart? About 15, 17 miles. Um, That my dad and his business partner, one of them, 1976, they acquired and the other in 77. We've bought, sold, merged pharmacies since then, but we still have our, our two flagship stores right now. You have original two. Give me a snapshot of your day. Are you working as a pharmacist? Are you at a desk most of the day? Are you in meetings? Are you at the one pharmacy? Give me a little rundown of what your surroundings are during the day. I wish I had a twin because I could I could get more done. Yeah, right. That's that's how that, that works. So typically, I, I, my office where I'm sitting right now is at LNS Pharmacy in Charleston, Missouri, and I spend a lot of time in the office. My um, uh, dad and I work out of the office. We've got staff pharmacists that, that work in the pharmacies. I do staff quite a bit, um, but we that's typically, I'm the go-to guy if, uh, if somebody has a vacation or whatever. At both stores? Yes, at, bo- at both locations. Ab- absolutely. And then also, I do a lot of uh, a lot of uh, work on the phone from a from consulting standpoint. I'm engaged in a lot of consulting activities through our, our startup, ESFA, that uh, spend a lot of time working through that. Yeah. And then, um, you know, just your, your day-to-day things. So the days that you're not filling in in the pharmacy, you're in your office working off your computer usually. Or traveling. Or traveling for the new business. Yeah, uh, new business. Um, I do a lot of work with NCPA. So I do some of their boot camps. They've got enhanced service boot camps. And I've done a lot of speaking for those guys. 
Um, I serve in some leadership roles at the Pharmacy Quality Alliance. So uh, several times a year, I'm traveling with them and working with them as well. Um, CPSN keeps me active. I, I do a lot of work with CPSN and, and do some traveling on behalf of the the, the local and the, the the national networks. Sure. And then you know for for our own businesses, for our new startup, and for pharmacy as well, our pharmacies that we own and operate. Give me the website of your startup. Sure. It's www.espha.net. That stands for the Enhanced Service Pharmacy Alliance, ESPHA. ESPHA. How do you like working with your dad? It's probably been one of the biggest pleasures of my life to be able to do it. I don't know that everybody... Most people don't get the opportunity to do that, nor do they know how it would be. Um, we had some struggles in the beginning because he wasn't used to having me around when <laughs> first graduated from pharmacy school and there's a lot of button heads. But yeah. we've kind of figured out what everybody's strengths and weaknesses. And we've, uh, you know, I'm in my 19th year, I guess, yeah. working with him. And so it's been, it's been great. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, it is. It has been. Everybody should be so lucky. What's your least favorite part of your set up right now to see the value that's being provided by by me by the pharmacist i'm working with on the team by all our staff and we, we've got community health workers working in our pharmacies we're, we're doing some really cool yeah. things and then you look back and you look at the reimbursement that you're getting and you worry about the the bottom line and making payroll and yeah. making your wholesaler payment that's the part that i don't like we have you, know, you just because you're providing a really a really solid product that's meaningful and valuable doesn't necessarily mean you're being reimbursed no. for that product that you're delivering right so that's the that's the the you know the yin and the yang of my staffing days is I'm seeing the the wonderful things that are being done by our staff and and getting to interact with patients and helping people work through their their healthcare journey and then on the other hand you're looking at the end of the day and you didn't make any money. Okay, let's say you made a lot of money. Would you like doing that? Oh yeah, it's the best job ever. I would I would if if I didn't have to do the office part yeah. and if I could just staff pharmacist and be able to do that for in my family business, I would love it. I I, I was staff pharmacist for ten years and I I love it. And that would be your your thing, if you could. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, well, I, I I've got this other part where I've just got to you know, build things, and so it that that's the that part that would probably be missing a little bit, but um, I. I enjoy both sides. There's a certain beauty in kind of forgetting about the stuff on your desk yes. and just and just working. But the problem is, you know, it's still there. You know, you, yep. you wish that you could work, and while you were working, it would go away. Right. Somebody else. Then is I doing would that. really enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> right. but when you know it's right. building right. up, then you're kind of thinking, right. okay, it's building up. Yeah. Were there holes in the NCPA and the CPESN that you're filling? with the ESFA or do those flow nicely into this by, by having you form this? When you're out and about, right? So I'm, I'm again, I'm lucky enough to, I get to work in the pharmacy. I get to, to understand the inner, uh, inner workings of, of a pharmacy practice and, and how that works. But also I've had the ability to get out and go, go do things and, and network with people that most people don't get the opportunity to do. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's been great when you're, when you're doing that, you, you realize real quick that, you know, there are some things that would be really helpful or would be really, it'd make life easier, or this is a common roadblock for pharmacies or for professionals or, or for whoever it is that I see all the time when I'm out there and there's, I just don't see a solution for it. And so that's, that's where we built, um, built ESPA is we said, you know, 
let's let's look at some of these things that are out there and it can we play a role in in solving for them and one of them's pharmacy profitability um we we just rolled out a a new um uh, we're actually launching it right now it's a, a new hearing screening uh, project right so uh hearing aids hearing devices were used to be prescription only audiologists only now fda said that for mild to moderate hearing loss you can you can um, sell hearing aids over the counter a lot of big boxes are doing it and they just got a station set out that says hearing aids and you, it's got the little clip on there that you can't steal it and you could you buy a couple hundred dollar hearing aids well we thought you know pharmacies right now are doing screenings left and right blood pressure blood glucose they're doing screenings depression screenings why not hearing screenings because you could actually self-refer and you do a hearing screening for somebody if you can self-refer to a hearing aid product that somebody could buy that's a fraction of the cost of what what they would buy from the audiologist why, why would farmers, you already set up for screenings and if it's profitable right. and it's cash and you need more cash front in business more now than ever. And so right. um, our team found a, a company that, that understood the product side, but they didn't understand pharmacy. And so we helped them build their marketing strategy and a training platform for for staff. So pharmacy staff can easily do hearing screenings and sell hearing aids and and do just-in-time ordering and so on. So that's that's one example of something that, that we've done. And we've got a pipeline of, of um of vendors and of, of manufacturers and service providers that are looking for ways to get into the pharmacy space. And so my, my partners and I have, have um, gone and gone through the process where we'll vet them and, and see if there's something there. And if there is something there, then we work with them to get their strategy into the market and, and make sure that, that it's a smooth transition and valuable to the pharmacy partners that we're working with. One of the things we realized is we were going out talking to employers, talking to health systems, talking to, to uh, um, self-insured, that you can go in all day long and talk about pharmacy services. They're like, well, what about the pharmacy benefit? You know, they're not going to contract just for services. You know, they've already got a broker. They've already got health insurance for their employees. They've already got all the, Where does that fit? It's, it's cumbersome because we're not you know, big health plan. We don't have the PBM. So we went back as ESFA to the drawing board and said, we've got to put together a benefit package. So when we go in, we can say, well, yes, here's what the health, the health plan that would be used. Here is the transparent PBM that would be used. And this is exactly how you would have prescription savings for your employees. And oh yeah, by the way, there's this network of community pharmacies that are local where they don't have to go mail order that your employees will be able to help manage their own conditions and, and have support with that locally with local providers. Typically right now with most commercial insurance, there is an incentive to use the health plan owned pharmacy. So you look at, uh, like say your United Healthcare, they, they own Optum. Well, our, our insurance is through United Healthcare for our employees. They are persuaded to use Optum mail order as are a lot of the other employers in the area. So they don't use my pharmacies and the people are frustrated, right? So say school district, school district has to use mail order. Well, they want to come and use the pharmacy on the corner, but there's, and so we go into them and we would say, like to your example, pharmacy goes in and says, hey, we want to be in there. Like, Great. How do we do it? And we're like, well, I don't know. You've got Optum. You, you, can't, you can't use us. So we needed a package. We needed a package where you can go in and say, replace what you currently have with this and it's going to save you money. Oh, I see. You would go into them. You'd go into this place that, that makes widgets and you would say, hey, we're a great pharmacy. Have your employees start using us for some health stuff. And they said, well, no, we're not going to use you for health stuff because we can't even use you for a pharmacy. And then you guys exactly. come and say, well, then we have to start looking at the whole package because people want a one-stop thing, basically. That's right. And 
you think of you know the early lessons we learned with CPSN is first, can we aggregate pharmacies around services and not just dispensing? And we, we were successful with that. Then then what do we do with it? Well, we go out to the communities where we have relationships and we sell these services to the local employers and 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 so on on behalf of their employees and increasing productivity and lowering cost, improving health. Everybody loves that idea, but the problem is the system is is essentially structured in a way that that's really hard to do. Because they've already paid for that through one thing, and they're like, "Correct, hey, Trip, we might appreciate you guys doing some weight loss and blood pressure in this, but we've already – and you'll probably do a better job, but we've already paid for it, and we don't want to pay – more for it and we can't carve out of this plan and so we can't use you correct i was thinking esfa was almost a way to teach pharmacies how to do the the hearing aids and and this and that but am i hearing from you that it's more of a health plan to sell esfa's gone out and built the pieces that we brought on partners to that you know that we brought on a health plan we brought on a a a transparent pbm and a a benefit design group that we've essentially vetted and have gone out into the market and and back to your original point you know pharmacies are used to dispensing and so educating them and helping hold their hand to go out and actually make that sale to the school district or to the employer that's a little tough who's going to do that gotcha and so we're, we're positioning ourselves to be not only have the ability to speak the pharmacy language and to bring in the opportunity, but handhold them through the process. And, you know, it's that only benefits the pharmacy, the community and CPSN because it just makes CPSN stronger. They're just we couldn't find anything out there. So we're like, well, crap, we got to build this ourselves. I got you. So you're saying to the pharmacy, you're saying, look, we're going to teach you how to do these things. I'm just going to say blood pressure, weight loss, and hearing aid. We're going to teach you those. And fear not that your money is wasted learning these and you're going to have to go to the widget company and be denied because we actually have the whole healthcare plan set up for you. So with their denials, we've got the answers now for you. That's the majority of pharmacy owners right now. I want to do this. Um, I need to understand more of how this works. I, I want to engage. I, I know the the employer, self-insured employer over down the road that has 100, 100 employees. I just don't know what to say to them. I don't have anything to offer them. When ASFA comes in, though, are you teaching or selling a way that you're going to be able to give somebody heart surgery? How is that part of the ESFA package? If you say you're bringing one package in, are you partnering with some of the bigger, you know, insurance plans or? As far as the, the benefit side, yeah, we, we, we're working, you know, there are, you know, there are three or four major health plans that have probably 70% of the overall market in the country on the, in the commercial space. And then there's another 30% of small ones that are, they're vying for market share. And gotcha. what those guys are doing is they, they, they're looking for an advantage because they want to move these big guys out. I so see. they're just like us. They're no different than us. Same thing with, you know, they're, three or four PBMs that have the majority of the prescription benefit market right now, but there are also some transparent smaller ones that they're doing everything they can to get market share. So they're no different than independent pharmacy owners. So our pitch is a little more local. Um, most healthcare now is trending towards, you know, your, your um, um, teledoc, your, you know, I, I was in talking to a nurse practitioner, friend of ours that we do a lot of work with locally. And she said, you know, what's killing me right now is we're, we're doing repeat strep tests all the time to, uh, you know, weeks into somebody that 
held their iPhone up with their light to their throat and their doctor on the other side of the oh. phone across the country prescribed them an antibiotic and it wasn't actually strep. And right. so that's what they're dealing with. And so there's, there's a lot of pushback with that, not only from the provider side, but the employers. People aren't real happy when their mail order prescriptions don't come in on time, when right. they have to use a, a physician clinic or whatever that that is either remote or it's far away because it was a less expensive option and it was the the um the preferred choice for the you know publicly traded health insurance company where yeah. these local guys they focus on local providers local you know they they go, come in with a different message and so we're we're coming at it with the, the health hub is going to be the pharmacy, the community pharmacy in your community with the support of a major health plan that, that gives you access to physicians locally. And if you're traveling, it gives you access to, you know, your broad network stuff that others have prescription benefit where it's not going to force you to use mail. Everybody gets paid the same amount, but it pays for services that, that these pharmacies can do locally. So then that way you can keep your, your tax hmm. dollars in your, your business local, which tends to make employees happy. Very yeah, right. new concept, very new concept. We're just piloting these things now very positive reception in the market we've been building this for uh close to a year and um we we we're getting a really positive response in the market you know it, as things grow and you look at you know my my good friend troy trigstead the the um um director of, of cps in usa I always used the craft beer analogy you know bud light coors light miller light that was all great for a while and then this craft beer boom happened and all of a sudden what what's going on well um all of a sudden market share started dipping for the 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 big the big breweries but also in this craft all of a sudden it became cool and it became local and yeah right and community based and and uh, really uh uh socialized that way well that's that's what community pharmacy needs to be you know we've got a, a similar product but we've we've just got to get entrenched in our communities again and allow our communities to utilize our services because in the past what's happened is they're farmed out elsewhere, whether that be mail ordered uh, to a chain that's that's somehow affiliated or owned by the health plan, you know, that th those that's what's killing us. The pharmacy is supposed to be the place for a lot of stuff and not duplicated necessarily, unless you're traveling or things like that in a non-pharmacy setting. Yeah, and I'll give you another example. So two years ago, we, we ended up securing a significant uh, amount of grant dollars to basically see if you could workflow community health workers out of a community pharmacy. So community health workers are peer liaisons that help people navigate through the healthcare system. They're, sure. They're historically, you'd find them in like a health system and a federally qualified health center, FQHC, or a faith organization, a nonprofit. We felt like with all the touch points that community pharmacies have, it seems like it'd be a place to do. So we worked with the Missouri Pharmacy Association, the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, and the CDC to test this uh, successfully, by the way. Um, ended up having over 1,400 uh, uh, home assessments in, in six months, ended up resulting in over 200 referrals to community health workers. Uh, we showed an out-of-pocket cost reduction of, of over $75 per patient per per month. That's out-of-pocket cost reduction. Um, got people transportation, ended up, it, it's just amazing what the, the pharmacy hub can be when, when you, you uh, um, use the, the resources appropriately. And right. there are also a lot of social services around, um, a lot of a lot of opportunities that only somebody local knows about. So if you've got a, a health insurer that's in, you know, Timbuktu, 
they don't really know what's going on in Charleston, Missouri. They don't know that you can get uh, support from the Alzheimer's Association locally, or there's right. a or yeah. there's a faith organization that has a has some support sure. entities or or a, a food pantry. They don't know any of that stuff, and so pharmacy right. should be the hub of that. And we've done a really good job of proving that out. Have secured several more grants, and we're working actually across the country now to to um, spread this project out. And I think Tim Mitchell was one of your uh, yeah. one of your pod. I listened to his podcast, and so they they've got community health workers. They're doing great things with community health workers in their pharmacies now. They really are. Yeah, it's really exciting. Who would be the right pharmacy to call you or look you up? That's that's a good question, and I don't know that I've got a really good answer other than anybody that's wanting to to do something progressive and innovative because it just we've got several different lines. So there's not a pharmacy in the country that couldn't leverage um, the profitability of, of hearing screenings and hearing aids. That's yeah. that's something very simple, and that, that's yeah. a you can train staff to do. That's not required. A pharmacist didn't require great marketing. Um, it's 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 a good opportunity. So that type of thing, anybody would be a good candidate. So it's just one thing, and you're not necessarily saying, "Hey, you gotta you gotta do all this that no, you heard no. about." We, it's one thing. We're, we're a sourcing entity, right? So we, we, we vet and vet and vet and vet different entities. And so what, what we hope to be is the go-to, like, hey, I'm getting ready to go see a self-insured employer that has, or I'm going to go see a school district that has 200 employees. I need to call ESPA to see what they have. Or we, we need to do something on the, gotcha. fr- in the front end. Like our front end's dead. We, we need or we need to see, like, we've got a really good multivitamin that, that is um, um, very similar to prescription drug products that, that were available in the past that have that been priced out of the market that people with diabetes just can't afford anymore. And we found it. We've sourced right. it. We've got a marketing campaign built around that that we're going to launch. And it's a really good high margin product that's great for, for patients with diabetes. And so that's something else. So we want to be a clearinghouse for, for anything that pharmacies want to do progressive. Yeah. We've been talking about care. Do you guys dabble at all in sourcing the business side, whether it's inventory control or accounting or ordering and so on. Another line of business that ESFA has is a, they've got a, or we have a wholesaler relationship. And so there's, um, they got a buy plan and some buy plan management and help pharmacies with, with that piece. And so that's, that's definitely um, uh, another opportunity that's out there. Yeah. It, it depends on which, what you're talking about with with respect to the pharmacy business because you know there it's it's pretty it's pretty intricate right now. Um, we've done everything from um, you know you you have pharmacies that have um, um, MTM cases, comprehensive medication reviews uh, assigned to them from a Medicare Part D plan. We've helped work with them to maximize. We got some pretty good numbers on how we've helped pharmacies maximize the profitability of, of that. Not doing the MTMs for them, but helping show them how to how to maximize the their time and and maximize the dollars for those kind of things. Uh, which are it, it's not it's not going to keep your doors open, but if you can do it efficiently and do it well, it's it's nice extra revenue. And so th- those are the kind of things we focused on in the past as well. It sounds to me like a lot of your stuff and is pretty individual. Are there some off-the-shelf packages? But it seems sounds like a lot of it is kind of in the consulting side and it, and it would take kind of like a quote for somebody who wanted to work with you. They're not all packages per se. 
some some are packages. You know, say like a hearing device um, program. That's a package. Gotcha. And, and that wouldn't require. Now we do some consulting. There there are um, there are definitely a lot of companies out there that have widgets that um, they're trying to figure out. They they maybe um, use those widgets in other areas of healthcare and think it may be a good place. Pharmacy may be a good market for them. And oh, so I see. we have we have we have definitely have had contracts for that. And one of my favorite ones was uh, several years ago before we launched ESPA, we, we were consulting with a, a group and, you know, it was, it had some nationally recognized names, um, um, guys from huge Silicon Valley tech investors and Harvard University. Mm. And I mean, these guys were the, the real deal. And so they were going out and they were trying to figure out how to get into the pharmacy market, gotcha. hired us to do market assessments and really see what, what a, a go-to-market approach would be. And we went back to them after three months and are like, guys, this market's saturated. There's just, we, we don't see a path forward. And so they shut down the company. Really? And so, you know, we feel like yeah, we didn't make a ton of money on that project. And we could have been a whole lot, could have been a whole lot longer. And we feel like we saved it. We wish we had what we saved them because, yeah. it, but you know, that there, there's value to that. And so that's, that's something else that, that we have done and, and continue to do when, when that's available. The hearing aid example, your revenue source would be from, from the hearing aid company? Correct. Somebody was going to sign on to do hearing screenings with us. So we don't, you know, we, we're not charging them for the, the program and you know, we'll, right. Our, uh, we, right. we win when they're selling a lot of hearing devices. You know, we ourselves and our business have been monthly feed to death, sometimes to no benefit. And so we're, we're trying to steer as far away on the ESPA side of charging pharmacies anything for what we're doing unless they're seeing benefit from it. Trip, what would you estimate right now? And I know you can't include all the time that you're daydreaming about this when you're driving on the road and thing, but what would you estimate right now? How many people hours are going into ESFA per week? In other words, are there dedicated employees just for ESFA? How many and how many hours altogether? We've got four investors, four partners, and we're, you know, we've all got essentially day jobs. You know, it's, it's, it's us. And then um, also we've got uh, three full-time employees and we've got an analyst. We have uh, uh, an accounts person and a, and a um, uh, account management person. And then we've got a, a, essentially a, a, another gentleman that's an MBA in our office that he does a lot of the training and the project management. And then we've got a full-time sales um, uh, uh, guy as well and, and 1099 salespeople. So we're, and we we launched and we're serious. Besides the guys like you, it's always on your mind and you're thinking and kind of running it. You've got maybe the equivalent of about eight full-time people or so running the business. I'd say close. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a good estimate. Trip, what would be your dream like out from here five years or 10 years or 15 years? What would you like to be doing? Would you still like to have your hands in pharmacy? Yeah. So first dream would be that this pharmacy I'm sitting in is still open and operational. Uh, that, you know, in today's market, that's, that's always questionable. Um, it, you know, things are rough. Yeah, they are. Things are rough. I'm, you're, it, it's, it, it's tough. And so that, that would be great. You know, I've got three kids and two nephews and if any of them wanted to get into this business, I would hope that they would have the opportunity to be able to do what I've done. Um, so that, that's, that's one. Does that include both pharmacies that dream? Yeah. Actually, more, right? I mean, I I, th- I think we're in this world now where um, you know one small pharmacy in a small community just is not going to be viable anymore. You're going to see 
you know, average pharmacy owner go from having 1.5 or whatever the national average to 3.5. I, I just think that's the natural progression of, of how this thing's going to go. You need more, more to, to spread out your, your processes. Sure. Uh, you know, beyond that, um, I, I, I would love to see community pharmacies and community pharmacists have more revenue streams other than dispensing sustainable, you know, 50, 50, 50% of my revenue is from dispensing product. 50% is from other revenue streams like per member per month management or um, services that I'm offering that, that people pay cash for or services that I'm offering that I can actually bill a, a third party for. Um, that's, that's what our healthcare system needs. Um, that's what actually I, I believe in my heart will reduce costs overall. And um, it'll also keep uh, keep a lot of a lot of dollars local in these communities that really need it, and, and keep that right. service right there oriented in the community where the where the the patients are. So that's you know in in five years, if those things are going on, then you know personally I'm successful. Um, what we've been doing would not been in vain. You know it, it wouldn't have been wasted. It would still be here, and uh, I, I think that it would just open up the door for a lot more opportunities. Will there ever be a time when you would say it's okay if you don't see personally any patients? You mean at the pharmacy? Let's say somebody said, Trip, you're working here or there, but you're never going to be talking to another customer slash patient. You're going to be working with the vendors and maybe doing some consulting and doing this, but you're never down to the actual patient level ever would that be a negative thing or a positive thing for you personally? I think it'd be negative, really. You know, there it would be negative. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's there's a certain amount of grounding that you get knowing that you uh, you you've got no not only some accountability with with people, but you know, also credibility. If if you're not doing that, how are you going to consult? How are you going to know what's best if you don't look? people in the eyes and not that you've got to do it all the time, but you know, I, I'm still, I'm still the guy on call on weekends, right? Yeah. Um, I'm still working Saturdays. Yeah. Uh, those, those are some of the most rewarding days. And I, I think without that, you lose your drive. Maybe, yeah. maybe your perspective, a little ivory tower think, which, which I detest. And so, um, I, I think that grounding is what, what's the most important piece. So I was, I'd say if something had to let go, that'd probably be the, the last of all of them, just because yeah. I think that's the driving factor. It, then you see what the, the system needs as well and what people need. How much would be enough of that for you? <laughs> like if I said, well, you, you can either do like this, which would be a huge amount or this, how much would be too small of that per week or per month? I kind of like my gig now. I'm I'm on a couple Saturdays a, a month and on call and cover shifts for lunch and and people when people are sick and out and emergencies. I, I'm I like that. You're on maybe six eight hours a week or something like that on average. Probably that's about yeah. right. Yeah, maybe even less than that. Yeah, a day a week kind of thing. Yeah. Let's say pharmacy did not exist. Well, number one, you, you know, you and your dad weren't in this and you could not be in the health field. What path do you think you would have taken going into college. When I got out of high school, my intent was not to go to pharmacy school. I was a chemistry oh. and criminal justice double major. I'd done, uh, I had family in the DC metro area. I loved Washington, DC. I'd done a tour of the J. Edgar Hoover FBI building. Um, I just felt yeah. like that was what I wanted to do. I thought that was, would be right. so cool to be able to go and work there. And so I was, uh, chemistry, um, criminal justice and, and kind of thinking, you know, forensics, uh, yeah, right. analyst, investigator, right. like that kind of thing was really intriguing to me. And, um, I'd always kind of thought about, uh, law school as well. So I thought sure. you know, that, that sure. whole path was what I was going to do. 
And so in doing my undergrad, one of my criminal justice professors, um, she was a, 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 um, a, a former U.S. attorney and her husband was an FBI agent. So I got pretty close with them. And he uh, she said at one point her husband that she was talking about me at dinner or whatever. And he said, you know, right now the FBI is really interested in accountants and pharmacists because we got a lot going on with prescription drugs and, you know, it, it's, it's a, it'd be a good market. So she came in and told me, I was like, oh, my dad's a pharmacist. I'll take the PCAT. So I went and took the PCAT real fast, ended up getting an interview and, and got into pharmacy school late on the waiting list. And I took the took the spot and I was like, man, all right, here I am in pharmacy school, still never planning on moving to Charleston, Missouri and working in the family business. And I'd been there about three weeks and my dad called me on a Friday and he's like, Hey, um, how's your week? Is it good? Good. He's like, well, I got something to talk to you about. He said, I know you're not planning on coming back, but my partner and I have had some decisions we need to make. And if you're coming back, which you don't have to, and we're not forcing you to, but we're going to go one way. And if you're not, we're going to go a different way. I was like, well, how long do I have to decide? He said, Monday. (laughs) and so i was like well crap so i I thought about it and i hung out with my friends and we and i called him sunday night and i was like i'll 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 do it i'll come back you know i had a really good life growing up and i enjoyed the community and i'd been away long enough i thought you know i can think a whole lot worse things than moving back to charleston missouri and doing what my dad did right uh, that's ended up being what i did and that's that's how i ended up oh that's great sitting right here now that's great yeah my uh my story about the fbi building this was about or the, the Hoover, right? That's FBI. The Hoover. Yeah, yeah. This was about yeah. um, shoot twenty years ago, and I went to I think it was the American Pharmacy Association. They had a couple of newscasters who had gone into consulting, and so they mm-hmm. brought like I don't know eight pharmacists there, and they were going to teach us to their building to the APHA, I think, to yeah. teach us about how to be on the news and things like that, you know, more like that. Mm-hmm. So I remember I, I had, I had some time. And so I was walking around and this is when, boy, whatever the date was, it was right when the phones came out. Like I had maybe the trio or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm walking by the FBI and I see these cool things that rise up or something yep. when the cars can't go through. I forget if they were pylons or like a whole metal thing or something. Yep. And so, <laughs> I'm taking pictures of it, and before I know it, these two, these two security guards come up, and no pictures. Yeah, and 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 it was right during the technology time where they said we ha- we have to take your film, and I said, well, I don't I don't have any I don't have any film. It's a it's a <laughs> camera, you know, it's an electric camera or whatever, and uh, a phone. And so I said, I'll delete them right now. So. I'm sure they had no idea what the hell I was doing. I'm pushing buttons. I really was deleting them, but it was it reminded me of just being that crossover at technology where they can never they can no longer say, Give me that film. So right. so now I've got I don't know if it reminds me of that story about that uh boy, that one guy that was on the submarine or something, he was taking pictures like taking pictures and he got thrown in the slammer. He was in the navy, he got thrown in the slammer for taking pictures of like private things or something like that. So well, it's a good thing that wasn't that wasn't you yeah. in DC because they could have they could have probably snagged you and interrogated you right, interrogate right past that barricade. I know it. Yeah. And if our paths would have crossed differently in life, it might have been you interrogating a pharmacy, uh, could <laughs> have been. pharmacy person could have or been. something. Yeah, that'd have been a different life. Well, Trip, thank you for your time, and this has been a real pleasure digging into this information and it's great because you mentioned Tim Mitchell's podcast and it's really cool to see this from different angles and to see the cool things that my comrades are 
are up to. Mike, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this and appreciate being invited and uh, wish you best of luck in getting your, your podcast disseminated. And I'll do my best to share with my friends as well, because honestly, I didn't I wasn't real familiar with it. And then Tim told me about it. So I started listening and now I'm a regular listener. So, uh, so yeah, you, you, uh, you recruited one here through Tim. Oh, that's kind. I appreciate that. We talk about the difficult times in pharmacy and our pharmacy is in the same boat of not knowing what our future is. And so I was thinking of what I most enjoy to do. And I've always enjoyed, I don't know if the receiver of this has always enjoyed it, but I've always enjoyed talking to someone and just firing probably way too many questions at them. And I thought, how can I combine that? And so I thought, well, I'll do a podcast because I can pester people enough, but it does give me a chance then to meet people should the time ever come where the pharmacy may not be there that I've deepened my... connections throughout the U.S. with people and so on. So I I appreciate everybody that's given me a little trust and I appreciate your listening. Thank you, Trip. I'll be watching and I wish you guys all the best. Yep. Same to you. Same to you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Trip. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes. (music) 